Welcome to the Doctors Building Wealth Podcast, the place where we talk about the strategies, habits, and mindset that separate wealthy docs from those who are not. We're your hosts, Leiti and Kenji. Today, we have Dana Dunford, who is the CEO of Hemlane. How are you doing, Dana? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me today. Well, thanks for being here, Dana. We are really excited to have you on this podcast to hear your entrepreneurial story and then talk a little bit about Hemlane and self-management because uh, a lot of our students are you know, very involved in their real estate portfolios. A lot of them are going for real estate professionals. So they know that they want to spend a significant amount of time on their portfolio increasing profits and making sure that the properties run really, really well. And so I think Hemlane is a very good alternative option for them than hiring traditional property management. So we appreciate you being here. Can we start out by maybe telling us a little bit about the story behind Hemlane and you know its growth? Yeah. So Hemlane started actually by mistake. It was not like we woke up one day and dreamed like of this model. And it was out of need. So to give you some background, I've been in technology, my co-founder as well here in Silicon Valley. And um, there are a couple of things and trends that I loved with companies I worked for. I worked for Apple and then I worked for Nest, the home technology company. Mm -hmm. And I loved that technology could, with Apple as a consumer product, bring people together rather than bringing people apart and automating things. And you think of that when you're on FaceTime or when you're on your device, right? It's really connecting you. That was one trend that I saw with technology that was incredibly positive is connecting um, humans together. And then the second was with home technology. I saw what Nest did with thermostats, with then the cameras they have, and noticed that there was a, a lot of ways that technology was moving towards helping with the home. And my, both my co-founder and I, through real estate investing, my family has investments and then also he has investments across the nation um, in just certain areas. We were smaller investors where when you start out small, you have a four-plex, a two-plex, a single-family home. Really, management, you do realize, becomes a problem for you, right? Because you're not one of the big guys who can go to one of the huge asset management shops. And so Hemley really started by us just talking about what the problem was and how we could fix it. And we didn't know what it would become at that time. We just knew we had a problem and needed to solve it. So it really started with us just working while we were in other jobs. I was still at Nest. And we would just build and talk about it at night um, before we decided, hey, let's quit our jobs and start this and embark on it full time. So that's a little bit about the background. I think probably very similar to your audience with real estate investing is they start learning about it and then get into it. And before they know, they've grown their empire of rental units. Exactly, exactly. And I love it. You use empire, which is exactly what we use all the time where you're thinking bigger, you're aiming bigger from the very beginning. So tell us about that transition to go from a full-time employee to doing a startup. Was this your first time? And what were kind of the challenges and, and what went well for you guys? Yeah, so first time, but also I should preface, I was working at NAS while I had just actually graduated from business school. So that day I graduated and I quit Nest on the same day, I had $0 in my bank account, like literally zero. And it was because I spent $600,000, I think, on cost of business school, right? I was you know, in, still in my 20s. 
And so any money that I had saved from Apple and Nest, I, I basically had spent on that. And it is a really scary experience. Um, I will say when you first start out, and it's the same if you're a real estate entrepreneur as well, you will make mistakes. You can read every book. You definitely should be getting educated um, through your guys' program as well. But you're still going to make some mistakes along the way. And you might even be told to do something and you don't do it because you're like, Oh, I'm smart. I I know better. Um, But you will definitely make some mistakes. And so that first year is terrifying. And um, I did that where we kind of just dove into the deep end and I quit without anything in my bank and started Hemlane. But with real estate, hopefully with semi-retired MD, that means you're still working, you have a job, you can build your portfolio and and you're a lot smarter. You start on the, in the shallow end and then move to the deep end versus me where you know I just dove into the deep end when we started Hemlane. And then it, it made it, I think, a lot rougher of an experience um, than it could have been otherwise. Inevitably, you're going to make mistakes. And I just want to understand the kind of the mindset that you have when it comes to just plowing forward and and accepting that you're going to make mistakes. Uh, how do you kind of get through some of those tough times when you do make mistakes? You know, it's always being an honest, hardworking person, right? And you know, this was five years ago. So the mistakes we made back then will never make again. But we had to go through those to make sure that we are running really tight operations. And a good example was that was we had said, Oh, we're not going to do rent collection on our platform. We don't need to. People can use other alternatives. We found none of those alternatives were as good as Hemlane. They weren't as safe. People can dispute funds. So we built it in. But then there were certain things where like a tenant could click on the button and it would double click and charge them twice, right? Because we were just starting to build it five years ago. We didn't have all the safety measures and a payment team in place to make sure that would never happen. And through it, it's owning up of, hey, that was a mistake. I remember a tenant called me and said, I was crying. She goes, I'm literally at the grocery store. I have three young kids. I tried to pay. And I realized because I clicked the button twice, because I think there was a delay um, on her side, that my rent's gone through. You guys have done the refund, but it takes five days to get to me. You know, I wrote, I transferred money to her account that day for my own personal account to make sure that she could pay groceries while that refund went through. And so there are certain things like that that you will do. And um, you just have to sit there and think about being the other person and what experience you want them to have as you go through it. It will be the same with your tenants. It will be the same when you purchase properties, what time you purchase, where you purchase, who you're working with. You'll work with a bad service professional and they will you know, totally screw you over and something will happen. But you'll learn from that and you won't make that mistake again. You know, making sure that as an honest person and as a hardworking person, um, that you always have that integrity as you go through the process. And it does make you a lot stronger. I would say being an entrepreneur and being in real estate, you learn so much more than, you know, doing the same standard safe job that you've always done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's going to, it's going to be a little bit different for doctors. They've been to school for over 10 years and then go into the profession and ease their way in and become experts. But with real estate, right, you're starting again from scratch and you'll learn a lot more and a lot faster um, through the process. Yeah, this is so good because it's so timely. We have all these students that are two weeks into our course right now. And it reminds me of this. um, And they're very uncomfortable, right? And it reminds me of this quote, I think by Brooke Castillo, who's a life coach. She says, discomfort is the currency of your dreams. And if you're not feeling uncomfortable, 
you're not growing, right? And it's really easy to be stuck in the safe place that's comfortable, that you know what you're doing, but pushing yourself out of that comfort zone into where you're uncomfortable is where you're truly going to grow and do something phenomenal, like build a big business, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And they always say also, I think it's, you know, you you leave a uh, job that's 40 hours a week to initially start out where you're working, you know, 90 hour weeks, but then it gets a lot better, right? It, it changes and then it becomes much more passive. But through education programs and stuff like that, it, there is a lot that your students need to learn before they can get to those, you know, much uh, days where it's much more flexible for them. Yeah, I totally agree. This is part of becoming you almost give yourself another job, right? You become the operator, not the owner. And then over time, you get yourself back into the position of the owner running your business instead of the operator, the day-to-day operator. So very cool. Correct. Can we step back maybe and talk about Hemling? We, we talked about Hemling being a platform for property management, but just for our listeners, you know, what, what does that mean? What does, what does Hemling do? Yeah, so one of the pain points we saw, which I think when you venture into real estate, you see as well, is that there are only two models to manage your rental property. I'm going to do everything myself, or I'm going to hire a full service manager where literally you hand over the keys and they do everything, right? And you get a check in the mail. Um, And actually, that model works for some. And there's some properties and also with some property managers where I say that is the best option to go for. But when you look at the market today of real estate investors, you know the average investor owns four rental properties and 70% of investors are self-managing. So the majority are not looking for full service management and they're saying, hey, I want to be a little bit more hands-off. I want to be that owner operator. I don't want to have to do the administration, but I still want to be in control and have transparency. And so that's really where we come into the market, where we say, great, you can be anywhere in the world, you can be out of the country, and your investments will operate effectively on the Hemlane platform, and you can be as hands-on or as hands-off as you want. By that, you could just use our software and have the software automate as much as the software can do, and then you do everything that technology does not do well. Or you can also connect with leasing agents who can help place tenants, service professionals who can help do, you know, handiwork, plumbing work, electrical work, et cetera, on the platform. And then we also have maintenance coordinators who are 24-7 to help coordinate that for you. And so it provides a much more flexible solution where you, we, I mean, we have customers who say, I'm in construction. I'm doing my own maintenance coordination. Like I know this stuff so well. I have a list, a Rolodex of service professionals. I don't need any help on that. But I don't understand the accounting or anything. If you tell me what GL is, I will not know what that means. And that's really where Hemling comes in. And we have others who say, I want to control all the financials, do all of my accounting. But I definitely need someone who can coordinate maintenance troubleshoot, push back on tenants, make sure I'm not getting ripped off by the service professionals. And then that's where we come in. So it's really a flexible solution for you to pick and choose what you want to do. Keeping in mind that you don't physically have to be there. All of our agents who are local are licensed. They have experience in leasing. They have experience in property management. Um, Some only leasing, some leasing and property management based on what you need. But you do have someone who's physically there if anyone tells you you can do it 100% remotely and like use robots or technology to do everything, 
you will probably lose more money than you'll make off of that solution. And the reason for that is you do need someone there who's on your side to say, Hey, I went into the house and I saw this stuff going on and things you should be aware of. And so I I still think it's important to have someone there, even if you're self-managing remotely. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. So can we take a scenario just to make it a lot easier for people to understand? I mean, we use Hemlane as well. And but so but I want to walk it through for the listeners. So let me say like, let's say you're living in Seattle, and you have a property in Oklahoma, you want to rent up that property, what are the steps that you help people go through? And then let's talk about, you know, each step and what your suggestions are for the owners. The first thing is you have to get on a call with us if you're out of state like that. We ask you to get on a call and we want to know the history of the property and the history of you. If you tell me that you have no experience with management and rentals, we're going to be a lot more hands-on of showing you every step of the process. If you say, I've managed, self-managed 10 properties near me, it's sort of like you guys, uh, Letty and Kenji, Like I don't really reach out to you at all to say, oh, here's the next step in the process. You know you guys are subject matter experts in this space. Um, But if if you are less comfortable, you haven't done it before, we're going to be much more hands-on. Then the question is, you know, the property. If it's a Class C property, who we put on that property as the assigned agent is going to be a lot different than a Class A property. And so it depends on what the property is, the history of the property, how much work. If you tell us there's quite a lot of turnover work that needs to be done, the agent we assign you to most likely has a really good maintenance team. If it's a condo, which I actually don't think you guys do a lot of investing in that, but with condos and you know associations, there's probably less maintenance that needs to be done. So you just need a, a leasing agent to you know show up and open the door. So it's it's not a one size fits all, but it's understanding the background. Then it's assigning you with an agent. Every agent we work with, and we call them agents instead of property managers because it's differentiating you from the traditional model, but also making it you know that. This person can do... They're licensed, right? They're, we're not going to assign you someone who doesn't have a license and insurance to do what they're doing. But that they're flexible. They don't have to do everything for you. And we have you interview a couple of agents. It's very important to note with those agents, we don't take a cut of what they make. We want the best people on our platform, not folks who are giving us a cutback or a referral from that perspective. The second thing is making sure that you jive with that person. We have agents on our platform that some people say 10-star reviews, this person is fantastic. And another person will talk to that agent and say, I don't really want to work with them. They're too direct. And I don't want someone who's that direct. So it's really a personality fit too to figure out who that person is who's going to help you. Um, Then they'll go through, they'll go look at the property, do an entire assessment on it. They'll help with rental rates. We help with that as well. They'll help you get um, it set up on the platform and you're going from there. Typically, if it's unoccupied with an agent, if it's occupied and we're just taking over rent collection and maintenance, sometimes you just meet that agent so you know who you're going to be working with in the future. Okay, that makes complete sense. So can you talk to us, like, let's say you're self-managing and you don't have an agent, how do you determine what the market rents are and how you should price the unit? Because I know that's, a, that's something we commonly get from our property managers, but if we're self-managing, how do we even start? Yeah. So um, there's two things. One, the structure of it is super important. So a lot of times people will not give their tenants optionality. Everyone likes options. So if I go to my tenants and just say, hey, you're going to sign another year-long lease and I'm increasing rent $200, your tenant is going to say, screw you. It's COVID. 
why are you increasing it by $200? This is a terrible deal. Even if you're way under market, they're going to think you are the worst person as the landlord. But if you go back to your tenant and say, great, I'll give you options. You can go month to month and I'm going to raise it by you know $400 or if you're way under market, right? Or if you are going to sign a full annual like 12-month lease with me, then I'll do only a $200 increase. Suddenly, that $200 looks a lot better. And so tenants want that optionality and want to work with you as well. Um, and so that's the first thing is that there's not this like one-size-fits-all. It's just this price. Because there's also lock-in, right? Of 12 months of rent is a lot better than a tenant who could leave in the middle of the winter when it's snowing. Um, so you definitely want to set it up that way. Um, that's one of the important points with pricing. The second point with pricing is vacancy and turnover will cost you a lot more than keeping a tenant in your property who you know is good. So I would rather have them $50 a month under market rate than pushing it up to market rate and potentially them leaving. Um, some people have different philosophies on that. But I always say try to promote having your tenants in the property for a longer period of time. Because we try to get to zero-day turnover, but that doesn't always happen. And there's a lot of administration associated with it. And so when you do go out there, you know, think of a tenant, right? You always think of your customer. A tenant is your customer. Think about if you're in their shoes. They have a renewal coming up in 60 days. What are they going to do? They're going to go to Zillow. They're going to go to Craigslist. And they're going to see what else is on the market in the area. That's like that. And so your goal is to say, okay, what else is on the market? And what is that going for? That's going to dictate how much you can increase. Um, and keep in mind that some things that you might think are important are not that important to the tenants. So you might say, but mine has granite countertops and there's some tile. That might not matter to the tenant. It really, a lot of it is like bedrooms for footage, you know, neighborhood where it's located, et cetera, um, that will go from there. And so it's not what you're doing is exactly what a property manager does, but you can just do it on your phone really quickly through the Zillow app, just to do a filter in your area, zoom in, see what else is on the market to know and predict how much you should be increasing it. There's also other approaches. There's numbers that come out by county of growth rate. You can look at those as well. But again, a tenant is not going to look at that. They're going to just look at what else is on the market. And so that is what we found the most important indication. And that's usually when a tenant pushes back is they say, but I found this one on the market and it's $100 less than your rent increase. You don't want something like that to play a role. And then some of it also when you price your rental might have to do with seasonality. If it's a turnover in the winter, you might say, I'm going to do a six month month extension. So it's on a summer turnover because you know that rents are higher in the summer because you're in an area where it snows. And so there's certain things like that um, that are also factored into it. What about something like uh, evictions that, uh, if, especially if you're self-managing, it, it seems for somebody who hasn't dealt with evictions before, it seems like a, maybe a little bit overwhelming to kind of deal with. What would you say to somebody working your platform about evictions? Yeah, one of the things just evictions in general is people get so emotional about evictions, right? And, and for a good reason, it, it's someone's home. But I see actually a lot of times the and real estate investor getting more emotional than the tenant is. And again, that comes down to the contract. The contract. So having a really good lease in place will save you and making sure your tenant understands that lease. Evictions are like everything else. Depends on the extent of the eviction. 
So for example, if your tenant is just habitually late and you've just purchased a property and it was tenant occupied and they're always late and they always pay on the 10th of the month rather than the first, which is what their lease says, you might just have a process server serve that three-day notice or whatever the state's notice is for $60. It's much cheaper than getting an attorney involved just to let them know, hey, listen, you will be kicked out of here if you don't pay by the first of the month. This is your top priority. This is your home. You need to pay this before you pay your credit card bills and everything else. Um, So it could be something that is simple like that, right? Where it's just making sure they know the precedent is you always need this money. If you don't have this money, I'm not your bank. Don't take a loan from me for 10 days. Go talk to your mom and get a loan from her and pay your rent on the first, right? So setting that precedent. Then you have cases where your tenant is not responding to you and they're a professional tenant, we call them, where they will start sending messages. And our maintenance team obviously picks this stuff up, but they'll say, it's unsafe for me to live here. It's not habitable. There's this going on. And they'll say these certain things and make up certain things so that they don't have to pay their rent. That is a case where you probably want to have either a feed agent has a lot of experience with evictions or a local real estate attorney involved. And your agent will know exactly who those people are and who you need at the table to help you with that eviction. So it's not a one size fits all. And a lot of people just go straight to one option because of it. But it really depends on the situation um, and the tenant uh, and what you're dealing with. Okay, that's really helpful. I, I think it's more fear than anything, right? Because it's fear of the unknown. But once you've gone through yeah. a couple of eviction, it's, it's really not as scary as you think it's going to be. Right. Exactly. Oh, and then one other point with that, I'm sorry to ramble on with it. But one other point is a lot of times people say, my tenant didn't pay rent in the system, right? And I sent them a message and I didn't hear back from them. Just call them, right? Like I literally just call them. You can get a Google voice number. It doesn't have to be your personal. Um, it's free. Um, I think they're, they're free as long as you're, it's not a business one. And just give them a call and just say, hi, we just want to check in and see how things are. Is everything okay with you? Because they might say, oh, yeah, absolutely. My you know, uh, bank account, if they do this every time, then you know they're lying. But if one time they say, yeah, my um, bank account, someone just hacked into it and is stealing money and I'll get it to you in two days. And I promise I'll have it by then. That takes that fear out. So just make sure these are people, right? And um, you handle the situations that way. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I know we weren't planning on asking you this, but you know, part of, I think a lot of our, our students want to stay anonymous if they can. And I think one thing that kind of holds some people back uh, from doing self-management is saying, you know, how do I remain anonymous? And I wonder if there's yeah. an option here for being the manager of your LLC and presenting yourself with a different name even. I don't, I don't know if you've had people who do that or what your experience is with it people trying to remain anonymous? Yeah, it's important to remain anonymous. You do not know who your tenants are, especially as you get larger. If it's just one tenant you're working with, there's less of liability. But the larger you get, you're going to have to have LLCs, potentially series LLCs, however you're going to set it up. And as you do, you want to be a member of the LLC. Because again, you're just acting on behalf of the owner. You're because every time if you say I'm the owner of this property, you know what the tenant thinks? This person's richer than me, right? They own this property and I pay them rent. And there's a lot that goes into it. But if you're someone who's helping with the management of it, it's a much different conversation. 
And a lot of times I see real estate investors get scared. They don't want to talk to the tenants for good reasons, right? Because they might have had a bad experience. But again, don't forget tenants are humans too. They want to talk to people. And I've had situations where an owner has called and the tenants have flipped and are like 5 bazillion percent better on doing maintenance, everything because they're like, oh, wow, there's a person behind this. Um, so being a, a managing member of the LLC is very important. Setting up a free Gmail, we always tell everyone, set up a free Gmail. That's your LLC's Gmail. It routes to your own Gmail. You don't have to you know, log into two different accounts, but it can route to there, having a Gmail, having a Google Voice number, all of your business stuff through that. And then your personal stuff is separate. Yeah, that's great. Great advice. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about leases because you brought up leases. How do you suggest that or where do you suggest people go to get leases? And you know, do your agents have the leases when people are using Hemlane? Yeah, so every agent will have a lease. They are licensed for it. And their leases are very concrete for their city, county, right? Um, now, if you are not using an agent, something like Rocket Lawyer may work really well for you. But again, it depends on where you are. And the reason I say it depends on where you are is there are some counties where the laws are so different than the state. And like Rocket Lawyer is state-specific leases. And Seattle is a perfect area, like right where you guys are, where you wouldn't want to use that lease. You want something that is so concrete and so specific to that county. So if you're working with an agent on Hemlane, they're already going to have something that's county-specific. If you're not, there's all these associations that are local apartment associations, et cetera, that have really good leases and you'll want to use those. Get those, you can get it one time, um, but they're great. You can also work with a local real estate attorney on that. Um, there's some areas where it's very much in the landlord's favor. There's not a lot of differences between... Or like they, they just follow the state laws. They don't have specific county ones. Rocket Lawyer is going to be great for you. It's going to be your most affordable option and it's fantastic. But again, that's not a one-size-fits-all. And the lease is, I have to say, besides tenant selection and selecting the right tenants, the lease is going to be the second most important thing because you need every term in there to be so concrete that if something goes wrong, you just refer back to the lease. People get emotional of like, but I thought the tenants were supposed to pay for the landscaping. Why am I paying? Why are they asking me to pay for it? It's like, well, if you say you signed this contract and this is what it says then it doesn't get emotional. Um, but you need all of that really written in there. And so uh, that's why we always say, make sure you speak with someone local who understands property management law. And you'll be surprised with some areas of what are some of the terms in there. This episode is brought to you by Dan Peck of Caliber Home Loans. If you're an experienced investor, you'll know just how important it is to have a lender who knows how to work with investors. Now, we've been working with Dan and his team for over five years now, and he's our go-to whenever we need a residential loan for our investment properties. Now, if you're new to investing, you might not know this, but your lender can sometimes be the difference between getting a great deal or completely missing out on it because your lender couldn't close a deal. Now, I did want to point out that Dan can help you not only with your investment properties, but also if you're looking to buy a primary residence or a vacation home. So the next time you're looking for a residential lender, be sure to email Dan at semi-retiredmd at caliberhomeloans.com to get a free consultation. Also wanted to give a shout out to Joe Whitesell of Northwest Commercial Lending for being a sponsor of the show. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever tried to get a loan for a commercial property for less than a million dollars, good luck. 
Most commercial loan brokers don't deal in small loans, and this is where Joe and his team shine. They help investors find a commercial loan no matter the size, and they actually love working with new investors and helping them grow their portfolios. So the next time you're in the market for a commercial loan, be sure to reach out to Joe and his team by emailing them at semiretiredmd at nwclending.com. Now back to the show. Can we talk about leaky toilets and service calls? Like what, uh, yeah. how, do, how does, um, how do you use Hemlane for, you know, repair calls and those types of things? Before you have the tenant move into your property, um, you should do a background check on the past landlord. They might show that they have a credit score of 800 and they make way too much money and they look like the best tenants on paper. Call their past landlord and you just ask questions that are objective. Would you rent to them again? No. The next question is, why not? Well, because they put in a maintenance request for everything. They refused to do anything themselves. It was an absolute nightmare. Wow. Okay. Thanks so much for letting me know, right? That's something that's going to financially affect you. And, and so some of those things are very important as part of the process. You can ask the agent to do it. You can do it. But those types of qualitative stuff, there's not quite a way to automate it as much. You can send the landlord notifications, but a lot of times through a system, they're not going to respond because they don't want it written down. They're going to want to call on that. That's the first thing. As far as troubleshooting and service calls that come in, there's two things. One, tenants think everything's an emergency and it needs to be done tomorrow. You don't want to send someone out on weekends. You don't want to send someone out during the evenings because it's going to cost more. Most service calls are more expensive then. So it's very important that your tenants understand what is an emergency, what's not an emergency. That's number one. Two, tenant responsibility. That goes back to the lease as well as the law. What is the tenant responsible for? What are you responsible for, right? And you know, if you write in your lease that you provide a microwave and it's just a counter microwave and it goes out, legally, you're required to replace that unless the lease says that you're not. So maybe you do provide them that countertop, um, not built-in microwave, but maybe you don't put it in the lease or you say, we're providing it, but if it breaks, you're responsible for going to Target to get a new one. Um, so certain things like that are really important. Like know your house, just like you know your customer, know your house, know your investment property. You only have to know it once up front, everything else then, like you guys say, then you become the owner because everything's set up for success. So that's one thing that's super important. Uh, is having a lease where everyone knows who does what maintenance. The second thing is troubleshooting. A tenant can put in a request and a lot of them don't know maintenance as well as, as, as you do or as well as we do. It can be a, a quick flip of the breaker, right? It can be even we've had tenants call and they had just had to replace the light bulb and they didn't even realize how to do that. Um, you don't know, especially with actually college students, that's where it gets really bad. Um, we found, but you don't really know how much they know and how handy they are. And then aesthetic things versus things that are essential. You know, if there's a scratch on the wall that they said was already there and you're not going to repaint it, great. Thanks so much for letting us know. We won't deduct this from your security deposit. We'll make note of it for the future. That's not something you need to fix. And so really knowing what you need to fix, can the tenant do it themselves without liability? And then finally, um, is this our, you know, our responsibility? Should we be sending someone out? So those are the steps to take with it. And a lot of times it's not until the service professional gets on site and they say, Hey, the garbage disposal is broken, but it's because I found 10 bottle caps down the drain. Okay. That's a tenant responsibility. They put the bottle caps down there. They need to pay for the garbage disposal. 
So there's certain things like that that go on. And it's all about communication. Our team helps with that. Or if you're self-managing, you just want to make sure you're communicating it effectively to the tenants and they'll be understanding. So going back to leases a little bit. So one thing that uh, Kenji's done that I think is really brilliant is he's actually like kind of drawn out maps for some of our duplexes and said, you know, this part of the lawn is this this unit's responsibility to take care of. And then he's gone and like had pictures taken after we've gotten it landscaped and said, it needs to be at this level. You know, whenever we draw, whenever somebody drives by or when you move out, and if it's not, we'll pay for landscaping and you will actually pay for it. We'll bill it back to you. Do you have, do you think you have that ability to add those kind of things to the lease like that and garage leases and stuff like that? Or is it pretty much like whatever lease there is, you can't make changes? No, you can make amendments. Um, You can. You want to make sure it follows the law. So that's why like, if you are making amendments that you think might change things, you might want to contact a real estate attorney to make sure it's okay what you're writing in there. But again, tenants, like lease contracts, so many of them are written in a way where it's like, hey, the tenant doesn't even understand what this means, right? It is better to have diagrams because a lease contract, if you think about it, it's just a way for people to know this is what we're expecting. And we both agree to this. And so having a a diagram in there and things like that, we have tables with like maintenance, who's responsible for what, not having to read these lengthy paragraphs with all of this legal jargon that like, no one understands who doesn't have a law degree. I think that's important. And tenants appreciate that. They appreciate something where it says, just so you know, this is why we put this in here and here's exactly what our expectations are. It's the same with the move-in inspection forms. Do photos, right? Rather than um, just having a form. Because, you know, a lot of times a form might say something, but if you actually see it, it's like, oh, that's the shape it was supposed to be in. So something about the landscaping to answer that question, I'm not sure if I'd put that in the lease, but I'd put that into the move-in form and have the tenant sign it that this was the condition because then the lease will say it has to be in the same condition as move-in with the exception of normal wear and tear. And you say, well, here's a move-in form. Here's what this says and, uh, and have it from there. Yeah, that's a really great idea. So you talked a little bit about credit score and calling previous landlords. What other suggestions do you have for screening tenants? Yeah, one of the biggest things that I see is a lot of people say they don't have any credit. I'm going to decline them. And it's no, actually, someone with zero credit is a lot better than someone with bad credit. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, the second thing is that, um, you know, you'll, you'll do a background check. HUD does not allow blanket statements of like anyone who has a criminal record, I'm automatically going to decline. Um, you can't do that, right? So you have to have a, a reason for it. And some cities are moving towards you can't look at criminal history, etc. So again, check your county's laws. But you should be looking at comprehensively this person. What's their credit showing? What's their background and eviction report showing? What's their past landlord saying? What are their employers saying? Like if you see someone, it's sort of like a job. Like if I look at a resume and a LinkedIn, and I see that they change jobs every three months, that's a risk to me, right? Like, is this person not going to have a job in three months? Um, things like that are going to be empo- important, their employment history um, as well. And then the last thing I would say is some people say, oh, I'm going to decline this person um, because they don't qualify. Don't forget there are co-signers out there. 
you might have a tenant who just started and you know their mom's going to co-sign for them and they are not going to default. And that's a great tenant because they're going to stay there for a lot longer because they're not ready to buy a home right away. Um, they need to build their wealth, etc. Um, and so there's other options out there for you to think about as well when you look at it to say, hey, I also just need a co-signer if you don't meet these qualifications. If someone has an eviction on their background, I automatically would decline them. That is objectively... Not only did they go to court, but they lost in court. And like, that's really bad. If there's someone who goes to court and wins, a tenant, that's, that's not an eviction. An eviction is they lost, they were in the wrong. And that's a place you don't want to be. Mm-hmm. What about low credit scores, but you know, they have a, a real a reason or a plan for improving their credit score? It was something that happened in the past and they're still suffering from it. But since then, they've you know, significantly improved their credit score, but it's still not quite at that threshold, what you know, what would you say to kind of having a a cutoff of for a credit score, and then allowing somebody who is below that cutoff to uh, you know to to rent your place? The devil's in the details. So if there was something on their background because their child had cancer and it was five years ago, and their child has recovered, but they're still paying those medical bills, fine. That is a completely legitimate reason for that low credit. If it is that they spent way too much money at Nordstrom and they leased a Range Rover and they had all of these other things, I'm not quite sure those habits change, right? I, I, I just don't know if they do. And that would be a reason where I'm like, and eh, you're a little bit more risky. Um, and in both cases, I would still ask for a co-signer and see if they have a co-signer as well. And that's just because even if they lose their job or anything, it is nice to know that someone has their back to help pay their rent. It's sort of like having roommates. People think it's terrible to have roommates on a lease. And I say, no, it's great because you have multiple incomes coming in rather than just one and relying on one. And so it's a very similar situation. Yeah, I think that's a pretty cool uh, you know, really strategy to identify. I mean, there are, there's going to be a, a subset of people who are kind of fit that category of, you know, they have good credit history recently but they had some type of a hit previously and they're going to probably want to stay in your unit longer because they know that it's going to be hard to get approved somewhere else because so many property managers I know have just straight cutoffs. But then Mm -hmm. I love the idea of layering a a co-signer on Mm -hmm. top of that. I think that that's really brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, I think we've taken a lot of tenants like that who have this kind of, they're early on and they haven't built up their credit or they had one situation a while ago. We've never thought to bring on a co-signer. And I think that's even just another level of protection for you as a landlord. I think that's really, really good. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, international students. Another one that comes up a lot. There are insurance providers who will insure them. A lot of people don't know about it, but that insurance provider will serve as their co-signer. And it's fantastic. You'll get some very affluent folks coming from other countries have, who have no credit. And you don't want to just take them on just based on their income um, because they don't have credit here. They could up and leave town. But if you can get an insurance co-signer on that as like an insurance provider, they pay that fee to that insurance provider. They do all of the risk analysis. If they up and leave, you have someone who's helping you cover that. So that's another case um, that I've seen that's worked out really well for some of our customers. Yeah, that's a great niche. Really, really great niche. And that brings up insurance, which is another good question, right? Um, how do you confirm or do you make it that each renter has to also have renter's insurance? And then how do you have them put that uh, put you on it as well? Yeah, so I'm 
always told everyone, every renter should have renter's insurance and your lease document should require it. No exceptions on that. Like absolutely no exceptions. I can tell you some crazy horror stories that no one has ever thought of with that. And um, with that, you have them upload it. Every year you need to see a renewal on it um, where every single occupant in the property, every single one of the tenants there is listed. Not just one of them has renter's insurance. They all have renter's insurance. It's going to save you. It's going to save them. Again, remember the tenant is your customer. You have to sell them. If you tell them you need insurance, they're, every tenant, even when I was a tenant back in the day, I was like, I'm not paying for that, right? But they don't really understand the benefits. So when you sell them renter's insurance, you're not selling it as, hey, I need to mitigate my risk. It's all about the tenant, right? Um, We had a case that's pretty crazy where this is a good one for if any of your tenants push back, where the tenant got a cat sitter who was recommended from the vet. And they went skiing in... um, Where was it? They went skiing in Jackson Hole, Wyoming or something. Well, the cat sitter's boyfriend came over, did drugs, burnt the place down. And the tenant didn't have renter's insurance. The tenant, the actual insurance provider, homeowner's insurance, went after the tenant and the tenant had to pay out everything because they didn't have renter's insurance and it was their guest. That is a perfect example where the tenant's not thinking about it. The tenant thinks, oh, well, my stuff's not that expensive. So if the place gets broken into... I don't really... I That's fine. I'm not going to have renter's insurance because I don't really care. I don't have anything valuable. No, it's not for situations like that. It's for the one I just described where you thought you did everything right and suddenly someone is after you where you're just going to have to declare bankruptcy. And so those are the types of situations with tenants where a lot of it's education, right? And letting them know, here are the reasons why you need to... Why we're requiring it. It's really for you. It's not for us. Um, and, and that's that's very much the case. So in terms of, um, you know, property management costs, you know, we, and we know what, what the typical property management fees are, but how does Hemlane and your software compare to, um, you know, hiring a property manager? Yeah. So it's going to be different. You're going to, your time's valuable, right? So with Hemlane, um, you are going to have to do more work. It's, we require that transparency, require you to set up rent collection, certain things where you're still involved just so you know. Um, but from a cost perspective, it is always going to be less expensive than um, traditional management once you get to two units. So it starts out if you want a month-to-month contract, which no property managers does, but we do month-to-month. It's $69 for your first property, followed by $35 per additional property. So that $30, $35 per additional property is really where you save all of the money the more properties you get. That includes 24-7 maintenance coordination, the full platform, and then we connect you with a local agent. Typically with that local agent, you're just paying them a one-time fee to do the leasing. But a lot of them have other packages of here's my one-time fee for evictions if you have to go through an eviction or whatever it may be. And so each agent will be different with what their pricing is. It depends a lot of, on where they're located as well as you know what you need with that agent. We've had people come to us and say, I want to do the lease myself. I want to screen all the tenants myself. I don't want the agents to do any of that. Okay, your agent's going to be a lot cheaper, right? Um, than traditional leasing. Awesome. I'd love to know where you're looking to take Hemlane from here. What's, what's kind of like the, uh, you know, the vision for Hemlane? 
I mean, I, I think the biggest thing um, for us is very similar to what your guys' goal is of having a way to build wealth passively across the nation and not have to worry about the management of every time you purchase somewhere, you have to think about, oh, but I don't have a manager in place there. And now we have 10 different platforms and I'm managing my property and I'm managing 10 different managers, which then just becomes a full-time job. Um, becoming really nationwide, like the biggest thing for us is building up that network of uh, leasing and um, leasing agents and managers in every single area where you have that optionality. You have four or five agents in every area to select from that are five star reviews and, and hundreds of them. Um, you know, that's really the goal with it. Um, and we'll start nationwide. We are nationwide now, but just starting to continue to build that network nationwide before we even think about going internationally. Um, but after that, then we would love to go to other countries as well. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna ask that. So if we go buy an Italian villa someday, we might be using Hemlane to manage that as well. That's very, very cool. And I know, um, you know, I, I just want to also point out that you know a lot of our students and people who are using Hemlane are full time jobs. I mean, they have, you know, they're working as physicians full time. We have a friend who's managing like what she has like almost forty units now. Um, that she's self-managing with Hemlane. So this is really doable with a full-time job. It's it's not that it's something that you're going to have to be doing 10 hours a day at all. And also, yep. I think it's nicely with, uh, you know, if you have a spouse who is going to be a real estate professional, mm-hmm. I think it really works great because, you know, you are doing the property management, you are doing the day-to-day operations. And so that really helps uh, justify that real estate professional status. So mm-hmm. I think it's a really kind of a nice, you know, marrying of the two where you can claim real estate professional status uh, and you're doing the operations and getting a lot of assist from a, a, you know, a platform like Hemlane. I think it's great. So we should uh, ask her the last couple of questions of That's Rich right. Doc, Poor Doc. Yeah. So we ask all of our, uh, you know, all of our guests uh, the same two questions. Uh, the first one is, uh, what is your definition of rich? My definition is optionality. What I mean by that is, it's not, I think, what traditionally people think of, of fancy cars, fancy big houses, etc. It's me being able to make decisions and have multiple options and not have to worry about money um, to, to be able in order to do what I want to do. Awesome. Awesome. And then uh, what is one strategy, habit, or mindset that separates someone who is rich from someone who's poor? One that I don't think people talk about enough, um, but I think we spoke about earlier in this episode, is being very detail-oriented at the beginning. So when you build that foundation, actually really understanding the process and everything, um, so eventually you can get out of the details. I think if you don't understand how you got to where you are eventually to building wealth, you might very quickly lose it, right? Um, You might have gotten lucky. But if you follow the fundamentals, if you've done like your guys's course, making sure every real estate investor goes through your course, you've done all of your due diligence, you've been in those details, then suddenly you build that wealth and you feel confident that you'll be able to keep it um, in the long run. Yeah, I think that's key is, is keeping your wealth in the long run. And you're right, if you lose it all, if something happens and you just randomly lose it all, if you don't know everything you did to get there, you can't repeat it. Right, and you you can't yeah. build it up again. And now at this point, because we've learned so much, because we've done it ourselves, like I know we could repeat it and do it even better the second time. Exactly. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dana. It's always awesome to talk to you and for sharing so many pearls for people in our, you know, our listeners and people in our course who are really thinking they want to self-manage or at least use a platform like Hemlane to self-manage and run their properties really efficiently and, you know, maximize their profits. I think this is a really great choice. So thank you for your time. Great. Thanks so much for having me on your show today. The Doctors Building Wealth podcast provides information only and does not provide any financial, legal, tax, medical, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own financial, physical, mental, and emotional well-being, decisions, choices, actions, and results. You should contact a professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.